Hello, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jay Shabbat. And we're talking about all my mergers, the latest in the Spirit JetBlue Frontier Airlines uh, saga. And then we, we look at the July 4th weekend in the U.S. and what that could bring for airline operations and delays. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, Jay. How are you doing today? Good morning, Ned. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So we're recording here on June 30th, which was supposed to be the big day when Spirit shareholders voted on whether or not to merge with Frontier Airlines. But as uh, all of you, our listeners probably know, the meeting did not, or at least the vote did not happen. Um, Spirit delayed the vote until July 8th, late on Wednesday night, June 29th. And uh, based on Wall Street Journal reporting and several other sources that I've talked to, uh, Spirit probably already was seeing the results and didn't like what they were seeing. So they delayed the vote. So that, uh, that, that probably goes to show that JetBlue's superior financial offer uh, was, uh, at least amongst investors, more important than uh, Frontier's offer, which uh, included more stock than cash up front. So... It's uh, interesting times, the latest twist and turn in the ever-continuing JetBlue Spirit Frontier saga. Yeah, quite, quite a saga. It's, uh, yeah, it's got, gotten quite nasty, too. <laughs> Absolutely. The war of words between the filings. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it was John Walton on Twitter who said, you know, uh, come on, you guys, get a hobby. Based on the number of filings that were filed on Wednesday alone this week, uh, and that's just the latest. <laughs> This has like Hollywood script written all over it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Jay, you've taken a look at the um, at sort of both deals and sort of weighed them. What what have you found? Yeah, and what I'll do today, and over the course of uh, you know this issue coming up uh, for for Airline Weekly, and then subsequent issues, we will uh, you know take a as we've been doing, you know, taking a Ned's been taking a close look at uh, you know how the deal is uh, or how the uh, you know each, uh, uh, how, the, how the whole sweepstakes here is playing out. Um, but what, what I'll just do uh, for now, I thought it'd be interesting to look at why JetBlue is so interested in Spirit, you know, what, what their motivations are. Absolutely. For Frontier, which, uh, you know, we won't, we'll, we'll put that aside for now, but Frontier's, I guess, motivations are maybe a little bit more simple and straightforward. It's, uh, you know, uh, an ultra low cost carrier that just wants to merge with another ultra low cost carrier. You know, the two have a lot of management links and, and whatnot. The JetBlue um, proposal is uh, more interesting, I think, and more a little bit nuanced in, in what they're trying to achieve here. So I guess at the start, the first thing I want to say is that uh, consolidating in the US, I think, has been a tremendous success for pretty much anybody who's tried it over the last, you know, 10, 12. I mean, I'd say we'd go back to the U.S. Airways uh, America West combo, which was sort of the, the the merger that showed that bigger is better if you, you know, bring together. Yeah, anyway, that would be over 15 years. Yeah. Yep. Almost 20 years now. So, so yeah, ex- exactly. So you had that, and then you had Delta Northwest and United Continental and Southwest AirTran and American US Airways, Alaska Virgin. It's just, and all of those deals, I think in retrospect, 
have worked out very well. Now you can argue, I mean, just to take take the Alaska Virgin, for example, there was definitely some, you know, messiness with that. They kind of overexpanded in California and had to, you know, pair back in, in some markets. And, you know, there's some messy fleet issues and whatnot. But but at the end of the day, Alaska was really able to uh, you know, kind of um amass enough scale to where they were able to extract more value from their a lot of their suppliers, including you know Bank of America, who, who they do their mileage plan with, you know their credit card with, and even you know when you're negotiating with banks and with aircraft suppliers. So so I think you know net on balance, I think all these mergers have worked really well. So I think JetBlue approaches this looking at like, hey, you know we realize that there might be some disenergies. You know we're going to be pulling seats out of spirits planes, which, you know, inherently increases unit costs, et cetera. But at the end of the day, um, it's kind of, you know, it's going to be one fewer competitor, one less competitor for, for us and one, you know, fewer airline prowling the U S skies. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's going to put upward pressure on, on unit revenues. So I think that's, you know, number one, I think that's a big reason why they're, they're pushing into that pushing into this. I mean, remember that, um, you remember, maybe, I'm sure you remember this, Ned, that back in 06, um, JetBlue, they tried to buy Virgin America, but Alaska outbid them. So this is not, you know, this, they, you can see that they've had consolidation on their mind before. This is not something entirely new. Absolutely. And Jay, I, you know, we've talked, to, I've talked about this before, but, you know, JetBlue acknowledged in April during their earnings call that they had their eye on Spirit even before Frontier came along. So, like you said, they've had consolidation on their mind for a few years. So it's yeah, it, it's not new for JetBlue. Yeah, and that's a very good point, Ned. I think it's an important point that yeah, it's not something like oh no, we need to react to what Frontier's doing. It's it's something that they've been thinking out for a while. Um, I think big motivation here, Florida, Florida, Florida. <laughs> that's. Uh, the, uh, usually we use that that uh, that phrase when we're talking about elections, but in this case, um, I think the Florida market has become so important to to so many carriers, including you know JetBlue, Frontier, all all three carriers involved here. There's just been so much capacity in there, and it's the market that's really held up probably the best um, of any you know of any big market through the course of the pandemic. Yeah, well, still kind of uncertain. And, you know, JetBlue is more of a leisure carrier, but they do have a lot of business exposure in places like Boston. So I think Florida just takes on an even more, you know, even greater importance. And if you can, you know, and, and everybody, I mean, this goes back even to before the pandemic. I mean, everybody was just throwing so much new capacity into the Florida market that it really made it difficult to, uh, to you know, make any money, especially, you know, as fuel prices go up because yields tend to be, I mean, right now is a little bit of an exception, but in general, it's hard to uh, you know push push prices higher in a market like Florida because it's so pricey, right? You know if you if you just take away a competitor from Florida, it, it does. I think it does a lot for for, for really everybody. So that's yeah. I, I think that's that's they're thinking a lot about. Oh yeah, I mean JetBlue is already I believe the largest airline. I think they they surpassed them. I actually pulled some some capacity numbers. I pulled some capacity numbers on that, Jay. And Spirit has a very large footprint as well. So it only, you know, it, it turns JetBlue's Caribbean strength. It just makes it that much stronger. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. 
Jay, I pulled I, I pulled some capacity numbers on the Caribbean yesterday, actually, and JetBlue's second to American, but a merger with Spirit would make them by far first, uh, by a long shot. So it definitely would give it would solidify their, their dominance in the Caribbean, that's for sure. Okay, so JetBlue <clears throat> by seats. That's seat capacity. It's seat capacity for 2022. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. So that, that'll catapult them ahead. So uh, yeah, in the Caribbean, again, that's some market that's, you know, under current conditions is, is, is doing very, very well. So um, you can see why it might be interesting, why it would be, you know, have that interest. Um, and then, you know, you have markets like Los Angeles and, and even, you know, and, and well, maybe not JFK because that's kind of a separate issue. You know, Spirit is, uh, or JetBlue has said they might divest some of, Spirits, Northeastern assets, whatever, but, but Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas, Chicago. I mean, these are places where JetBlue would like to gain more scale, which they can do, you know, by taking on Spirit. So there's that too. I think JetBlue looks at what Spirit's done on the ancillary side and, you know, says, hey, maybe we can, you know, learn something from that. Spirit has been, you know, just such a leader on uh, being able to, uh, you know, generate revenues from sources other than just selling tickets. So that probably, you know, factors in as well. Uh, and um, yeah, just in, you know, I, I think this has been, you know, talked about in the press a lot, but obviously, you know, getting access to Spirit's pilots and Spirit's order book. Obviously, we've got, you know, common fleet there, the A320neo family. So um, that is, makes it, you know, all the more compelling. So, you know, and none of this is to say that, you know, I'm not arguing here that, JetBlue is is doing the right thing necessarily, although although I think it you know it certainly does make sense. Um, but yeah, my purpose here is just to kind of lay out, you know, perhaps what they're thinking, uh, why why are they doing this, and why are they, you know, so adamant about they don't they don't seem to want to let the spirit. Absolutely. Well, I mean, then the counterpoint is you know the banter in the industry is that. JetBlue needs this. It's it's where do they go if they don't get this merger? They get if they get a stronger competitor uh, of of a combined a combined frontier spirit would be a much stronger competitor for them, like you said in Florida on the East Coast. And you know they are a little they're kind of hemmed in. There's you know this has been a problem they face for years. So it's it's their main hubs in the Northeast are pretty saturated, and they don't really have too many places to go. So that's that's another point of why they probably see the need for this merger but you know whether JetBlue has growth opportunities or not is a whole nother argument that we don't need to have here um, but yeah it's 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 interesting and then uh, the flip side is is you know we've got Frontier backed by Indigo Partners which owned Spirit of course until for many years until they they bought Frontier and divested uh, Spirit so it's it's all my mergers. What can we say? It's uh, it's going to be interesting. So July 8th is now the shareholder vote and I want to be clear that this isn't a vote up or down. It's not one way's Frontier, one way's JetBlue. It is yes or no on Frontier. And if shareholders still vote down Frontier, then JetBlue still has to go have another shareholder vote to, you know, either get the board on their side and get approved or they need shareholders to tender them their shares. So it's it's not a done deal on July 8th, even if Frontier loses. Um, if they win, though, it, it is pretty much straightforward. So we have to wait a few more weeks until we see the end of this movie. Absolutely. At least, at least a few more weeks. <laughs> at least. And then we have the whole regulatory approval process, which who knows how long that'll take. Oh, but yes. The regulatory process. This, <laughs> and this that's is... interesting because, yeah, JetBlue is, 
also trying to do a deal with American, not a merger, but a, uh, an alliance in, in the Northeast, which uh, seems to address uh, you know, uh, shortcomings for both JetBlue and America, American. Um, but JetBlue is kind of saying, hey, look, uh, frontiers, uh, frontier spirit merger would face the same level of scrutiny because they'd be similar, you know, kind of similar ranking overall in the industry, the combined entity. And, uh, you know, they both, uh, they, they even say that there, there's less direct overlap, JetBlue Spirit versus Frontier Spirit. Um, I don't know about that. It seems, <laughs> that argument seems a little bit tough to make because obviously doing that, you know, American alliance at the same time as you're doing Spirit JetBlue uh, is, is a heavier lift. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting, you know, regardless of which way the vote goes uh, next week, assuming that it does go next week, it's going to be an interesting few months in um, in the, the antitrust space. That's for sure. All right, Jay, yeah, let's take on a- industry ever not interesting. <laughs> that is a very good point, Jay. That's a very good point. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back, Jay. It's uh, so we're recording here on Thursday ahead of the July Fourth weekend, and it's uh, it's setting up to be a busy and potentially stressful weekend for a lot of travelers. I uh, some new data out of Hopper forecasts twelve point nine million Americans will be flying over the long weekend, and that's from Thursday. That's from today. June 30th through July 4th, and and they're expecting as many as 2.7 million uh, people will pass the U.S. airports on Thursday and Friday, July 1st. So to put that in perspective, the most people that the TSA has screened to date since the pandemic began in 2020 is 2.4 million. So we're looking at at least uh, 200,000 additional people passing through airports. So it's going to be busy. Jay, what are you hearing? Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely the intent to travel is, is is certainly there. We'll see how many people actually get on their planes and reach their final destinations, given all the uh, operational distress that's that's going on right now. Absolutely. Now, thousands of flights have been canceled. Um, Airlines for America, the trade group, you know, wrote uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg uh, last week, June twenty fourth, and said airlines have reduced their schedules by about fifteen percent from initial plans for, for July and August. So schedules are down, but that doesn't seem to be stopping the cancellations. Uh, they, every, <clears throat> it seems like almost every weekend we've got, <clears throat> pardon me, a couple hundred flights canceled around the U S and, you know, sometimes, you know, different airlines take the lead uh, depending on the day, but it's, uh, it's affecting everybody. Yeah. And, and I found it interesting to, uh, it seems like the uh, the airlines are starting to try to blame things on air traffic control, and then the uh, Department of Transportation is saying, "No, no, no! Wait a minute! That's that's on you. You uh, you know, it's the airlines that have the issue with labor." And I know you've written a little bit about this. Um, I know Delta perhaps said something yesterday. Um, yeah, Delta uh, the Delta CEO at Bastion said on on Wednesday, June 29th, that uh, you know. There's a lot of stresses in the aviation system, but he, in his view, the quote-unquote most stressed part of the system is, is air traffic control right now, which is interesting. Like you say, it's it's a change of tone because you know, airlines have not been blaming air traffic control or the FAA as these issues have built over the last few months. They've accepted that they've had staffing issues and they've accepted other uh, you know weather, but 
ATC has generally been left out, but it, it is a change of tone. That's uh, it's happened in just the past week. Let's step back for a minute and kind of just say some, you know, say something with, uh, you know, something more broad about just the U.S. economy as a whole. Many, many economies, for that matter, we're kind of experiencing what you, you might call a shortage economy right now, and it's been that way like through most of the pandemic, where you just the supply side of the U.S. economy is very. Um, it's short of everything. I mean, if you think of, you know, we're short of pilots, yes, and we're short of, uh, you know, people to, to to run the airlines, but it extends far beyond the aviation industry. I mean, there are not, there, there, there's not enough semiconductor chips to make enough automobiles. There's not enough port capacity to handle all the imports that are coming in from China. There's not enough truck drivers to move things around. There are not enough nurses in the hospital. Um, and this goes back to, I mean, there's, you know, this, there, there's so many different reasons for that that you know that's that's a podcast and a <laughs> and a separate topic in and of itself um but airlines are kind of on the on the front lines of this right now especially because you know they didn't you didn't hear about it so much when when demand was depressed when the pandemic was raging but now that demand is just surging back and everybody wants to to go somewhere uh it's you know just be, becoming a, a big issue and you, you have to you wonder too i mean fuel prices have become so high that just imagine you know what? If, what if fuel prices were were very low right now? Um, that would mean airfares would be much lower, which would mean uh, <laughs> that there'd be even more demand. I mean, possibly not because they're you know the capacity might be restricted for other reasons. You know, the fact that you don't have the labor means that uh, right. you know you couldn't you couldn't address the demand anyway. But but yeah, I mean, you can see the point that there's definitely a mismatch uh, a mismatch between demand and, and supply, both in the economy at large and very much so in the airline industry. Absolutely. And, you know, it, the airline industry is everyone's favorite punching bag, more so because of the the payroll support they receive from the government uh, to the tune of $54 billion. But you're absolutely right. This These labor issues are not, uh, the airline industry is not alone in, in facing labor issues right now. It is economy-wide. It's just, it is, uh, like I said, everyone's favorite punching bag. It's an easy target because everyone travels and when delays happen, it's a very visible thing. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very straight airline. People's experience with with an airline, it's you know, it's a means to do something else. It's you know, I have to get on an airplane. Well, not for not for you know nerds like us, Ned. We just we like to fly. But for most people, they don't want to fly. They just have to do it to get somewhere. So it's um yeah, and it's a stressful experience. It's you know, so that it's just the nature of the interaction between the consumer and the airline is is not a pleasant one to begin with for most people. So yeah, it's it's it makes it you know all the more, uh, you know people are all the more ready to criticize. Absolutely, and we we we're seeing that it was um just it was earlier this week I forget the day but I mean Senator Bernie Sanders is weighing in uh, criticizing you know asking the Secretary of Transportation to to do something about airline delays. So I mean it's this is a very prominent industry and Congress is, is weighing in whether that results in anything, probably not given the the broader labor situation, but I expect we could have some very interesting hearings uh, in the next month or two uh, with some CEOs back on Capitol Hill to explain themselves, but hard to say. I mean, that doesn't help travelers though over this coming weekend when uh, I, yeah, all I can say is bring your patience. It's, it's probably not going to go as smoothly as we hope. But I'm not flying this weekend. And I, I'll say one more thing about, uh, you know, just looking forward. You wonder what's going to happen in the fall, because that tends to be when business traffic 
or sorry, leisure traffic naturally just kind of falls off, you know, schools reopen and whatnot, um, that, which tends to happen sort of the second half of August when most right. schools reopen in the United States and then in certain areas of the country, like the Northeast, you'll have uh, schools open in, the, in early September. But, it, but in, during that period, is, is you tend to see a big drop off in leisure traffic. And, uh, you know, you wonder is, is uh, what, what the state of business traffic is will be at that point. And of course, you know, the anytime you're talking about the airlines, uh, the massive, giant, enormous wild card is what is the price of fuel? Uh, and, you know, right now it's just at such a high level, um, but, uh, you know, may, maybe there'll be some relief. Uh, you know, the, the economy right now is seems to be softening, which, which would, you know, perhaps put some downward pressure on fuel demand and therefore fuel prices. But, but you know, that's anybody's guess. Nobody, yeah. nobody knows where. Well, I can say. Oh, yeah. Well, I can say Delta CEO at Bastion um, in his comments on, on the 29th, and they, these were made to employees in, in a town hall that, that Airline Weekly was able to view. Um, he said, I mean, he expects business travel to step in and fill some of the void for demand in the fall. And, and he doesn't see that abating just because, you know, there is this pent up desire for you know businesses to get out and see their customers and everything. And, and his response was, you know, if, if we do slip into a recession in the U.S., which is discussed, but not by for sure not a, a guarantee at this point, you know, that could be good because fuel prices would go down and that would be uh, good for airlines. So it's uh, it remains to be seen. But, you know, capacity is certainly going to be restricted. These labor issues aren't going away right away. Most most people are saying at least through the end of the year at this point, you know, that's training backlogs at American. That's uh Getting a stat, you know, everyone is basically saying that at this point. But like you said, once the the peak summer demand eases, hopefully, you know, airlines are going to be able to pull back their schedules a bit more, and that'll give them more space to to adapt. But it's uh, that's still a, a month and a half or more away. So, so would I be misquoting uh, Delta here by by saying that they're hoping for a recession? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you would taking... be misquoting there. They did not say they're hoping for a recession. They said there could be benefits <laughs> if an event that that did happen. But 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 it, um, but it is you know I, I do see the point there that this like a mild if you get a mild recession that might actually not be the worst thing like in this in this unique circumstance because. You know, you're not able to handle the demand anyway because of all the stuff we've been talking about, the pilot shortages and whatnot. Um, so you're not, you know, you're not going to really lose too much demand. And yet the recession, if it, you know, uh, you know, pricks a hole in the fuel bubble, <laughs> knocks the price down a bit, then maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we can say that uh, here's hoping for a recession. <laughs> mild one, a mild <laughs> not a 2008 one. style recession. Nobody wants that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, Jay, have a good July 4th holiday. Thank you for joining today on the podcast. Uh, this is, yep, again, Edward Russell, joined by my, my colleague, Jay Shabbat. Shabbat, um, thank you again, and uh, take care, everybody. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you, Ned, and happy holiday to uh, all the Americans celebrating. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.